0: that crack and affected us politically, economically, sexually, socially, intellectually, financially, and all the other lees. Uh, Everything really got messed up. Uh, So as we come together in this new series, we want to tackle and look at some of these uh, issues that come to our minds when we think of this three-letter word, sin. Uh, As you're all coming, we're all coming here together, you're probably asking some big questions, right? Like, what am I going to have for lunch today? Um, Or who's going to win an Oscar tonight? Those are the big questions that we have. Or after that, it's what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Uh, It might be things like who am I going to marry? Or will I get married? Or who am I going to be? Or what am I going to be when I grow up? No, seriously, the big questions that we came here with and that we walk around with every day are questions like this. How did we get here? What went wrong? Is there a remedy for what went wrong? Is there any hope for the future, and who knows the way? Those are the big questions that you have. Those are the the deep, soul-searching questions that I believe God has even placed on your heart and my heart and us as humanity. Uh, Today's very specific topic that we're getting after is the story of autonomy. Autonomy. The story of autonomy, and we're using um, Genesis chapter four. Uh, Caroline, my wife, has been very uh, helpful in us crafting this uh, sermon series, and we basically want to walk through Genesis. And so today we're in Genesis chapter four. You'll notice, oh, huh, why, did why didn't he start in Genesis chapter three? That's usually where, like, that is exactly where sin shows up. We'll be referencing Genesis chapter three throughout the entire series. But today we want to start in Genesis chapter 4 because there's this story of autonomy. And this autonomous life that's depicted for us here isn't just this character or these uh, hooligans doing all these shenanigans in Scripture. It's not just their story, it's your story. It's my story. We are those people that long for and even push for a life of autonomy. And so as we look at this story and read this story, we're going to see the downward spiral that an autonomous life leads to, that sin is not satisfying, and sin is systemic. It affects those around you. And yet, in the midst of that downward spiral into sin, we're going to see God's relentless grace and mercy and compassion to seek out those very sinners who want nothing to do with God's way. Everybody ready for that? I need, I need to hear this message today, so I'm going to um, get us started here. Uh, I want you to I wanna encourage you as we go through this to, to just sort of understand with me that I'm not going to cover all of your questions or even my own questions regarding sin. As we get to each of these narratives over the next seven to eight weeks, leading us up to Easter, there will be all sorts of questions that pop into your mind, and I, I think that's wonderful. And I'm inviting you to read through the book of Genesis with us as we go on this exploration together. We'll start today reading in Genesis chapter 4. I'll read out loud for us. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of the crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry And his face fell. By the way, if you're listening and following along here, the story just changed. Darkness is about to enter into the story. The Lord asked Cain, why are you so angry? And why has your face fallen? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, Let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterwards, the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother? Where is Abel? I do not know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me, will kill me. The chapter keeps going. We, we didn't have enough room to print it all here, and, uh, nor even enough time to discuss all of it. So I'm encouraging you again to get in the book of Genesis there. Okay, so we must first of all ask the question, what is sin? What is sin? Sin is like cold toast, maybe. Doesn't everybody hate cold toast? Doesn't everybody hate like cold uh, almond butter or peanut butter that you put on the knife and it just like tries to start smearing but it doesn't, it's just not right and it like messes up the whole piece of bread. Don't you just hate that? (laughs) Don't you just hate uh, ice on the floor that your roommate just left on the floor and you come into the kitchen with socks on and you step right into it? Uh, That's got to be sinful, right? Um, What about uh, things like um, a sink full of dirty dishes. <laughs> if you like me, a neat freak, like that, it just represents sin. It's just in that <laughs> sink. Um, it, it might be the smell of a skunk. We smelled a skunk. Right? We live out in the Sunset District, and I don't know if you smelled that skunk last night or not. If you live in the Sunset or near there, but it was it was rank. It was sinful. I think. Um, if you, if you travel, if you've talked to different cultures and gotten to know different people and you've had a discussion about this word sin, typically what would come up in a ubiquitous answer would be wrongdoing, some sort of wrongdoing. Something is not right. There's some standard that we would have, like the way things should smell. That's why I mentioned the skunk and so forth. But there's wrongdoing. And today what I'm trying to to, to see in this story that, that, that we just read together is that sin isn't just behaviors, it's not just things that you do, therefore we can just don't do that and then expect ourselves to change because we're attacking and focusing on behaviors. Rather, there's a mindset beneath sin. It's like sin beneath the sin, the root of sin I'm presenting is autonomy. It's a mindset and a heart and a will that has declared to God, I refuse your way. I'll go my own way. My way is more convenient, it's more timely, uh, it makes more sense to me intellectually. I will do what I want to do. That's you, that's me, that's our humanity. We laugh, we joke about it. Uh, sometimes we think it's cute. If you're in a relationship with someone and you've been in that relationship for a long time, guess what? They will do what they're going to do. Um, there's a story that my mother tells about myself and my brother that we were in, uh, we were in the mall one time. And I was asking my mom to purchase something. And, and she says, well, honey, we really don't have the money for that. And I said, well, just write a check. You, you have several checks there. Just, just write one. And she gave me a little financial lesson at that moment. And then she tells the story of my brother saying, I I want, I I want, is what my brother was saying. And he started pitching a fit and my mother tried to calm him down and say, what is it that you want? Just communicate with me. And he said, I want some want. there's There's this want in us. There's a wanter inside of you. They're desires inside of you. And that's what this is getting after when we talk about sin and camouflaged sin is it's not behaviors. There are behaviors, and we'll get after them. But it's the motive, it's the reason, it's the wanter and the desire within us that leads to these very things. Um, also, in terms of preface here, as we get started in the series, The biblical definition for sin is most always attached with its opposite, and that is worship. It's it's uncanny how, when you read the the scriptures, um, sin is an over-desire for something. It's usually a worshiping of something, usually something good, like sex, money, position, success, those things which God has given us to be enjoyed, yet as the word idolatry teaches us, it's that we elevate that very thing and we begin to demand things out of it. We begin to offer money to it, give our emotions to it. And meanwhile, it's sucking life from you and from me and stealing and robbing your joy. So in the context here, Genesis chapter 4, there's worship that's going on. I mean, you got a shepherd, you, you, you have... Uh, a a farmer here, and they're um, they're both offering a gift unto the Lord. That's what worship really is. God gives us, he gives you everything that you have financially, your gifts, your abilities. We then offer that back as a gift to the Lord, as an expression of worship. That's what's happening here. In the Old Testament, sacrifices, as all of you know, sacrifices were used in the Old Testament as an expression of worship, uh, but also because the New Testament within introduced Jesus as the atoning sacrifice. We don 't need those sacrifices anymore. We have Jesus who is our atoning sacrifice. So Cain the farmer, uh, therefore he 's offering crops. Abel the shepherd, therefore he 's offering uh, the, the, first, um, the firstborn among those lambs, because that 's what's costly, that's what 's His best. And that's perhaps why the Lord is not accepting one of the gifts here that's offered, and the Lord is accepting the other gift that is given here. The reason isn't because of uh, God likes animals uh, more than he likes produce. It's not because God wants to bless the shepherds and not bless the farmers. It's the motive behind the way in which these two worshipers or these two givers are giving something unto the Lord which is attaching us again to where sin actually comes from. I want us to notice the perpetual downward spiral that happens here. We read it, but I'm going to try to unpack it for us here. And as we do this, I also want you to pay close attention to God's mercy. This isn't just a talk to get us to feel depressed about how dark the story gets and how depressing sin really is, although it's worse than you think. I want you to see God's mercy on top of it as well. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, he's angry. Who's he angry at? Everyone's been angry. And sometimes whenever you get angry and I get angry, sometimes we don't even know who we're angry at, right? Like we kick a chair or we slam a door and it's like, are you really mad at the door? (laughs) Why did you take it out on the door? Why is your behaviors doing that? And so the root Always be going deeper. The root here is that he's he's angry at God. He's angry at God. He's angry at his brother. And it says that his face fell. If you're looking back in the original language here in the Hebrew, it means that his anger was burned to him. That's what the Hebrew phrase here is. It was like it was branded right on him. Right? You ever been around someone that their anger really has branded to them? Like it's somewhere in their story, and man, they not only feel it, but we all feel it. It's attached to them. How do they get away from it? How do they stop that cycle? Notice, however, here in the midst of this downward spiral, God tries to communicate with Cain. Did you notice that? Notice that in verse 6 here? See, The story doesn't just go with Cain got angry, And then he killed his brother. What a sad story. And that's the same in in your story, is that whenever there's temptation uh, for you to to sin or not, God is always faithful to start communicating with you, to, like, give you a wake-up call, to, like, say, hey, don't don't do that. Don't enter into that. And he does so here in verse 6. Look what he does here in verse 6. He actually asks a question. To Cain. He says, why? Why are you so angry? What a phenomenal question. What a phenomenal gracious act of the Lord to ask you a question and give you space to think and own why is it that you're really angry? What is it about it that makes you angry? Why is that so? Why has your face fallen? I mean, that's why reflection and meditation in your own personal walk with the Lord is so powerful. It's not being busy for the Lord and like doing all the right things and it's being reflective, contemplative, slowing things down so that God can speak and so that you can listen. And God is so gracious and merciful to keep speaking to you even when you and I are heading towards sin. He attempts to rescue, uh, and, 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 and the, the thing that you have to understand about this is that Cain refuses it. He just refuses it. He'll have no part in it. And now we're right back to that autonomy that I'm trying to explain here. I will have it my way. I may smile on the outside. I may even look like I'm close to God on the outside. I may even praise and do all these things on the outside. But inside, I am demanding to have my own way. Yet, verse seven, he warns Cain. He says, If you refuse, that's that's a very key word there, refuse. That's a position of the heart. If you refuse to do what is right, watch out. Watch out. I'm, I'm warning you out of love, watch out. Be careful. Don't tread in this area. Sin, he says, sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. That's what sin does. If you, if you haven't uh, woken up to this yet, sin desires you. It wants you. It wants to dehumanize you. It's portrayed for us in the news with things like racism, injustice, um, sexual abuse, um, sex trafficking, I want you to imagine with me, Adam and Eve. Okay, so we're, we're talking about the first parents, Adam and Eve, and so so Cain, Abel. Th- these are the first kids. This is the first family. This is the first family. It doesn't take us long to get into this genealogy before there's murder into the story. But I want you to think about Adam and Eve sitting around with those young boys. Now we're reading chapter four, where they're they're grown, they're working. Think about, imagine with me, Adam and Eve sitting down with those young boys. You know they did. You know they probably had conversations with them about this pristine, idyllic beginning that they had. I mean, how would that conversation have gone? To hear your parents say, literally, we were the first ones here. Uh, Literally, we are humanity. Everything was pristine, idyllic, perfect. Tigers didn't bite. Thorns didn't cut me. Work wasn't frustrating. We we had uh, great communication in our relationship. And yet, they would also go on to say to those kids, yet, perhaps in shame, yet, when we willfully opened the door to sin, All sorts of hell and chaos rushed right through the door. Overwhelmingly so. Lord, have mercy. Please, young Cain and Abel, hear the story. Hear your identity. You know they pled with them. You know they had conversations again and again and again with them. Uh, They wanted their kids to know God's love and mercy. Yet the downward spiral continues. Look in verse 8. Anger and jealousy lead to premeditated murder. And this is about the time when you read and I read this story and we go, whew, glad that's not me. (laughs) I'm not a murderer. (laughs) I'm not an adulterer. I'm not as bad as those people. That's usually how the conversation goes in in our minds here. And once again, enter Jesus. Jesus has a phenomenal, truthful, yet very gentle way of teaching us. He does so with the Pharisees in the New Testament, and consequently he's doing so with us. Matthew chapter 5, he says to them and you and I, you have heard it said long ago that you should not commit murder. And, of course, the whole audience was going, I haven't. I'm good. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or his sister will be subject to judgment. Yikes. And he goes on and says, um, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and therefore remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar that's there in front of everyone, and first and go be reconciled with your brother and your sister. See, that's more important. Loving your brother is more important than doing these outward things, the right things. Jesus goes on and says, You've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. And we say, I'm glad I've never done that one. And Jesus says, But I tell you, anyone that has ever looked lustfully on another person has already indeed committed adultery in their heart. Verse 9 more mercy, <laughs> more mercy, more grace comes into the story, and he asks him another question Where is your brother? He already knows the answer. Why is he asking such a thing? He's not trying to attain the information. He's wanting Cain to finally repent. Own it. Just own it. What an invitation repentance really is. What an invitation to just own it and say, I don't even know what I was doing. or In fact, I knew exactly what I was doing, but but I own it. This is why I did it. I was so angry. I was so jealous. God, I didn't understand you. Therefore, I was so freaking pissed off. I did it. Just own it. Just own it here. More downward spiral, what happens in verse 9, he lies. Cain will not have anything to do with it. I'm not softening my heart. I'm not going to repent. I'm going to dig my heels in. And this is exactly what sin does to you, is it convinces me and you, dig your heels in. Defend yourself. Fight like hell for your position Verse 9, he lies to God. He says, I don't know. (laughs) Then he tries to get real cute with God and saying, am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) You go find him yourself, pretty much. And just hear that God cares so much more about your repentance and my repentance than your strategies to get better. I mean, there's there's so much in the news right now about uh, the Catholic Church, and and it's like, okay, great, we're so excited that we're going to discuss this and hopefully see some change regarding this, but it's not necessarily about the strategy that we got to come up with. It's own it, repent from it, call it sin. That's what's got to happen before change happens, not a strategy to get better or manage it. More mercy and more grace. Uh, Verse 10, looking here in the Hebrew um, text at this earlier this week, and and, and the beauty of this here in verse 10, he's basically saying, um, will there not be a lifting up of your head? Remember earlier where where he sinned, he fell, and then it says his face also fell. Here in verse 10, he's essentially saying that forgiveness is being offered to you. There will be a lifting up of your head. And then, of course, look in verse 13 at Cain's reply to that offer of of forgiveness. What does he say? My iniquity is too great. This is too good to be true. There's no way you're going to forgive me of that. God, do you really understand how wonky my motives and my heart and how tangled and how chaotic it is all down in there? Do you really get that and now you're going to forgive me? If you own it, if you repent of it, yes. And Cain says, I can't believe it. And maybe that's how you feel. Maybe that's exactly how you and I feel at times. Is Can this be true? Can God's mercy and grace be this true that God would love me in that way? Yet more downward spiral. I hate to be the bearer of the downward spiral, but it's here. Verse 12. Work is frustrated and fruitless. It's a consequence of sin entering the story and sin even being chosen in the story. Similar to Genesis 3. Remember how Adam and Eve worked. Work was not an effect or a consequence of falling into sin. Uh, They were created to work. And work was happy. Work was productive and fruitful and collaborative. Yet here in verse 12, we see that work is is frustrated. That's why work is frustrating for you at work. That's why uh, things get on our nerves at work the way that they do. Verse 14, Cain, Cain blames God for the whole mess, the whole thing. Similar, again, to Genesis chapter 3. When sin enters the story, there's a lot of finger pointing that goes on. Hey, the woman maybe do it. No, it was the man. Guess what? It was God. No, it wasn't God. It was the serpent. Somebody did it. Who did it? Not me. That one's always funny, like around your house or something. Well, who left the milk? Not me. I didn't leave the milk out. I didn't do that. Um, Your sin affects others around you. I wish we could just make the whole talk just about that. But your sin, uh, and sin is systemic on all the parts, how all the parts affect the whole. Your sin affects your family. Your family's sin affects the culture. The culture's sin affects your family, which affects you. It's all systemic. It's all connected there together. Sin, Cain's sin causes a downward spiral that affects not only Cain, but others. Look in verse 19. Polygamy enters the story. Polygamy enters. Where does it come from? Well, it starts right here in verse 19. There's seven and eight generations after Adam and Eve, and then it says finally here in verse 19. I don't. Um, it says here that Lamech marries two women. Now, there's nothing attractive about polygamy. Nothing. It always ends in misery and chaos. If you look at all these biblical stories about polygamy, it always ends that way. Verse 23 goes on that Lamech boasts to these two wives Did he kill a person. Go, Go read about it. He actually is boasting now that he killed someone. So remember seven or eight generations prior, we've got Cain who kills his brother. Now the generations trickle on down. Sin is all through in that family. And now we've got Lamech saying, yep, I killed someone. We'll end with more grace and more mercy though. Verse 26, if you go back and read this, it says, at that time, people began to worship the name of the Lord. They began to worship. They began to come into relationship with a God who knew everything about them, knew all the deeds and behaviors and nasty little sins and addictions that we all have, yet also knew the motives for what drives us to do the very things that we do, think, or say. And that God redeems his people in order to restore those people so that they might declare his grace and mercy to other people. And invite more people into the story to be participants of this story of experiencing God's grace and God's mercy. So it's Jesus who's the remedy for this atrocious cancer of the heart. It's Jesus Alone, who is the remedy, who takes up residency inside the life of a believer. That's why Paul in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, would say, Your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, your soul, your mind. And so anything that you and I are participating in, watching, viewing, listening to, is it fit? Is it fit? for the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of us? And will it give you the freedom and the joy that you truly long for? Only Jesus can do that for us. And there's an offer for forgiveness. We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper here, and that's exactly what this meal is about. It's an offer to you for forgiveness. It's an offer to be reunited and reconnected with the God who loves you. A God of a million and more chances. A God of today's a new day for you to restart and remember His grace. Yet, a God that calls you to repent. That's why Jesus famously would say in His three-word sermon, repent and believe. There's the gospel, repent and believe. It's not in your sacrificial morality of trying to be good. It's not in mine and your creativity and hiding our sins. It's in your honesty. It's in you and I owning our sin. And what led to the sin. And then repenting. Praying that God would change those inward wanters and desires deep within us. Let's pray now for mercy for God to do that. Father God, we, we invite you as we did getting started that you would indeed change us. Help us be that real and that honest with you. Help us re- respond in obedience to, to you out of love. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you love us so dearly. You're so merciful and gracious with us to keep talking to us and inviting us out of sin and into freedom. So we invite you, keep speaking to us. Do so right now as we pray in Jesus' name.